hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 47 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Daniel Shapiro, the founder and CEO of Four Laps. Offering stylish staple pieces that wear equally well both in and out of the gym, Four Laps prides itself on creating thoughtfully designed apparel for guys who don't want to compromise on performance or style. In this episode, Daniel shares with us his journey from working in merchandising at The Gap to working for three years at Old Navy to moving to Pittsburgh to work at American Eagle, to finally taking the leap into entrepreneurship to pursue his passion and starting an apparel business of his own. Daniel talks with us about his battle with anxiety and depression, the many pitfalls he experienced while trying to launch his business, and how he scored a major partnership with Peloton. Tune in to hear all of this and more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and please leave us an awesome review. We'd really appreciate it and we hope you enjoy this episode. Daniel, thank you so much for being on the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm really excited to hear your story in building four laps. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Where are you from originally? Um, I'm originally from St. Louis, uh, Missouri, actually uh, a town called Clayton, which is a suburb outside of the city of St. Louis. All right. Did you have any siblings yeah. growing up? No, I was an only child. Um Everyone always asks me if I like how I feel about that. I'm yeah. I had no experience, so it's <laughs> well, all I knew. Know any but. other way? <laughs> exactly. I guess everybody assumes that you just hang out with a bunch of adults all day, or you're by yourself in a corner. I mean, yeah, I guess that that's sort of the case. Um, we had some very close family friends that lived behind us, um, and the two daughters were kind of like my sisters and I was always over at their house. So I sort of experienced uh, the thing, but not fully. Nice. That's great. We have some friends nearby. So what did you want to be when you grew up when you were a kid? Um, it's so funny. So as a kid, I was super interested in like buying things and like researching things, everything from like vacuums to computers to cars. Um, and I, I was super interested in apparel as well, but I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and uh, my dad is an entrepreneur. Um, he's in the industrial scrap metal business. And I used to spend a lot of time with him on the weekends when he would be at work. Um, and while I loved the fact that he was an entrepreneur, I, I wasn't super passionate about scrap metal. Right. So it sounds like he owned his own business and you're like, you saw the flexibility maybe and some of the, the pros that come with that. Flexibility, yes. And I also saw like a lot of ups and downs. Um, his business is very volatile. So like I saw the highs and the lows, um, oh. which is very, very much similar to the journey that I have been on. Absolutely. Did he, um, was he working by himself or did he have a team? Like how big was his company? Um, he has a pretty large company. It wasn't always as big as it is now, but he has like a pretty substantial team of people. Um, I would say in the last five to 10 years, it's gotten to be more substantial. Um, mm -hmm. it was, a, it was a small business when I was, when I was a young kid, mm -hmm. um, but it's grown a lot. Nice. I can definitely relate to the ups and downs. You know, my dad's an entrepreneur as well. So it'd be like, you know, we're living in a great house and then we're downsizing and then we're going into a bigger house and then we're just moving again. We didn't move much, but there are definitely some ups in his business. So, yeah. Cool. And so what about your mom? My mom is a teacher. She um, taught at a uh, public high school for over 45 years. 
Um, she was very passionate about public school education and teaching. And to this day, students stop her on the street and say, you changed my life. Wow. And thank you so much. And yeah, it's really great. That's cool. So did, were you in her classroom growing up? I was not in her class. I didn't, we, I, I went to a different school district, I think on purpose. And I'm <laughs> grateful for that. <laughs> was she offended? Like, what do you, what, you don't want to be my student? No, no, no. She actually was the one who, like, we moved specifically to go to the Clayton High School, which is where I went to high school. And she was, it was, it would not have been a good situation if I was in the same high school with her, I don't think. And we love <laughs> each other, but, you know, it's, it would have been too much. Right. What was one of the most challenging things for you as a kid? Um, I would say I was not athletic um, as a kid and I was overweight. And that was very challenging. I got picked on a lot and teased. And um, I think when you're, when you're not athletic, especially in like grade school and middle school, it becomes, it's a problem. Mm. I mean, I, I definitely, middle school was not a, not a good time for me. Um, then I got to high school and um, I actually started playing water polo, which I was wow. absolutely horrible <laughs> horrible water polo player horrible but uh it got me in shape and like it was the first team sport i had ever done mm -hmm. um and um while i was not good at it at all um i think i learned a lot from it what do you think you learned the most um i mean i think i learned some perseverance because like well, first of all, it's a very hard sport. So even yeah. if you're not good at it, you're still, you still, it's still, you still have to work. I mean, hard. I've got to give you a lot of credit here. The fact that you go from zero sports to water polo is a little <laughs> crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a little aggressive. Um, like I should have been on the golf team or something, maybe. I don't know. Um, swimming maybe is a good start. Yeah, exactly. Swimming. Um, no, it was good. And it was like, it was good to like be on a team with people and, um, and, you know, I, I think it helped kind of balance my schedule. So I learned to kind of balance schoolwork with a sports schedule. And um, yeah, I, th I think it was a good experience. Time management, learning that early on. That's uh, important. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Awesome. And so as you were going through school, high school, um, where'd you go to college and why? Um, I went to Washington University, um, which is in St. Louis. It's actually a mile from my house. Um, I originally um my freshman year i actually went to school in washington dc i wanted to get out of st louis and i didn't really know where i wanted to go actually i wanted to take a year off i had gotten into wash U as a freshman and i told my parents i wanted to take a year off and they were like i think they came from a generation where they're like oh that means he's not going to school so right. yes so i went to washington dc i went to american um my freshman year and it just wasn't the right place for me um and I made some nice friends there and um, I did well academically, but I wanted to be in a, um, the campus was like very, like everything happened off campus. And I wanted to be in like a more traditional, like college setting where everything kind of happened on campus. And so my sophomore year, I transferred uh, to Wash U, they call it. Um, and it was, it was a great experience for me. And it was actually the perfect place. Um, and, and I, from the time I started my sophomore year, I moved myself into the dorms, which was, like I said, a mile from my house. And then I didn't go home till Thanksgiving because I wanted like a clean break and wanted to like set some boundaries with my parents. Although my parents are not like the sort that would have like come visited me unannounced, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That dorm room experience, even if you live really close is important. I, I was the same way. I grew up in Delaware, right. Very close to the university of Delaware. Like it's where my parents met, you know? Uh, and so, yeah. um, being like, I didn't want to go there initially because I'm like, I have to get out of here. That's just like too obvious. My dad went there. I can't go to that college. And yeah. I did for a semester and then I transferred back, but the dorms were a very, very important decision in that. Attending oh, that for college. sure. Like, I definitely was not living at home. <laughs> right. Right. It's time to get out of the house when you're that age. For sure. Awesome. So what did you end up studying? So I was a finance major and then I double major in history. Um, and I thought I wanted to go into investment banking. I worked for an investment bank one summer in college. Um, and 
Um, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And when I graduated in 1998, I was in the top like 25% of my class, but not at the top. And I was interviewing for investment banking and consulting jobs. And I took a job doing management consulting. And how'd that go? Terrible. <laughs> so first that, I mean, it was like literally a comedy of errors the whole year. So first they sent me, we went to training in Vero Beach, Florida, which was really fun. It was like six week long training, people from all over the country, super fun. And then I came back and like, wasn't, they weren't sure where to place me. So they're like, why don't you go to SAP programming training? Whoa. So they sent me to this, I have no aptitude whatsoever for programming, like none, like it never coded anything or whatever. Go to Atlanta for this training and like, they don't give you the score at the end, but I'm very sure that I failed it because I literally, it, it, I might as well have been learning like an alien language. Like right. that's how foreign it was to me. Um, and then I got put on a project um, an international telecommunications project in Reston, Virginia, where I was trying to help um, the client like figure out how to bill other clients across the world. And that didn't go very well. Like I didn't get along with my manager and I, and I, my manager wanted me to stay in this uh, corporate housing. And I ended up like saying no to him and they actually kicked me off the project. <laughs> so then, then I, then they they end up putting me in, um, audit and I was doing tax returns for like wealthy clients of the consulting firm. And I was miserable. I mean, I was in like an, like this, it was miserable. And at the end of the year, it, this was like, uh, right around Y2K, they like had to lay off 10% of the people. And I got called into this office and they're like, we're sorry, we're going to have to let you go. And I looked at the partner and I and I said, this is the best thing that's happened to me since I've gotten here. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to leave because I wouldn't have done it on my own. <laughs> I wouldn't have quit. And um, and he was like, I haven't had this response all day. And there were people in the halls crying. It was, it was rough. Um, yeah. And I, I left and um, I moved to Washington, D.C. Uh, to work for a startup. Awesome. That's hilarious. Yeah. Were they like, this is the first time we've ever heard that kind of response to us firing someone? Like, how did they respond yeah. to yeah. you saying thank yeah. you? They were like, the partner was like in shock. <laughs> He's like, here, we have, we have all this stuff set up for you, career counseling, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? You're right. This is not a good fit for me. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I wish everyone who got fired could say that same thing and feel that same way. Like, you know what? I just want to thank you <laughs> for firing me. I just couldn't let so go much. myself, you know? So thanks for doing me the favor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. So what happened next? So I moved to Washington, DC and I spent six months temping, which was a humbling experience because I, in many cases, I was like working as like a secretary or working in a law firm, like, you know, like doing like not paralegal type work, but like assistant work. But like in your temping in these companies, like that you're not being treated very well. And mm -hmm. I, it was not, it was, I was like, I can't do this. Um, and I ended up going to work for a, about six months later, I ended up working for a startup that was aggregating newsletter content. So trying to like bring newsletters into like the digital age. And I was doing business development. I worked there for six months. Um, the company basically lost their funding and laid off everyone. And at that point, um, it was right around uh, 2000, right before like the bubble burst. And I sent my resume out in the, in the Bay Area and I interviewed and I got a job with a really great Kleiner Perkins funded startup, which was called Elance. Um, which was bought by, I think, Upworks. Um, and I was there for about a year. They went through several rounds of layoffs, and then I got, I got laid off. Um, and then I spent another seven months unemployed, actually temping for investment banks. Um, and I decided that I wanted to go into software sales. It's so interesting. Well, I think it sounds like when you were laid off, you may have not said thank you this time. No, that time I didn't say thank you. I was a little freaked out. <laughs> 
Uh, and you know, I, I was living in a expensive apartment in San Francisco and mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was a little freaked out. Um, yeah. I, I volunteered a bunch, which was great. Um, and I actually volunteered, uh, I think over five years in San Francisco for the boys club in the mission, which is where I lived. And that was an incredible experience. I, I definitely like utilize my time and I'm someone that needs to like be occupied. And so I, you know, I was temping and I was volunteering and, um, and, but I mean, I was, it was, it was definitely, my career was not going very well. Let's just put it that way. It sounds like it was a little bit of a bumpy ride. It definitely was. It definitely was. I mean, my first five years out of college, I had five, I think I had five jobs. (laughs) Right. That's a lot. So yeah. So it was a little, it was a lot. So I, um, I started interviewing and I got a job working for a, um, basically a software technology company that did a lot of work for retailers and I decided, um, sorry, to back things up, I worked at Banana Republic in college and I loved selling clothing at Banana Republic. Like I loved it. I had such a good time. I worked in the St. Louis Galleria, like people from all over the St. Louis area would come and like from small towns and like they'd come to Banana Republic. They had never been there before. And I was able to like help them find things and they left the store feeling great. And I felt really good about it. Yeah. Um, and I had always been interested in apparel, um, but I didn't know that it could be a career. So while I was at this uh, startup that did a lot of work for retailers, I sort of became interested in retail and I decided that I wanted to start my own apparel company. Why did you want to all of a sudden do that? I just was like super passionate about apparel and actually loved custom made shirts and wanted to start a custom made shirt business. Hmm. And so remember when I told you that we lived behind this family and their two daughters were like my sisters? Well, their grandfather started Tanger Factory Outlets. Oh, wow. And I knew him growing up and he was, you know, this larger than life, you know, guy who started one of the most successful outlet chains in the country, if not the most successful. Um, and he originally was in the shirt making business. Um, and so. I, my close friend, uh, who is his granddaughter suggested that I call him. So I, I, he, I had a conversation with him and he was very direct with me. He was like, you're not starting your own company. That is a disaster. He's like, (laughs) you need to get some experience Uh and you live in San Francisco. You should go work for the gap. Good advice. He's like, it's a great company. You should go work for the gap. Um, and so that's what I did. And in 2003, um, I went to work for an old Navy outlet, which they don't have anymore. Um, and I was a distribution analyst, even though I wanted to be like a buyer merchant at the time, like I couldn't get into that. So I had to start somewhere. So I started in allocation and distribution and I distributed adult accessories for old Navy outlet. And I did that for about 18 months. And then I interviewed for a merchandising position. My first merchandising job was with Gap Brand mm-hmm. in men's denim. Um, what was that? It was, it was great. Uh, it was a very challenging time to be at Gap. And actually, I, the, both of the times that I was in Gap Brand were challenging for me. <laughs> I guess we'll get to that later. <laughs> well, it just was not a good, Gap Brand was not a good cultural fit for me then. Um, And then I actually went back and had an even more challenging experience. Hey guys, I want to tell you a little bit about a new report we're launching here at Future Commerce in partnership with Gladly called The New DIY. It's all about the new trend that has emerged around the passion economy and modern consumption, which begins with peer inspiration, continues with product education, and culminates into participation or an online purchase. The report covers how these trends start on social media, the importance of great customer experience across all brands, regardless of industry, and the implications this trend has on retailers. You can get the full report today over at futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. That's futurecommerce.fm slash the new DIY. So maybe we'll talk about the one that happened now. I was an assistant I, I didn't have a direct boss. I was reporting to someone much higher than me. And 
as an assistant, you're not supposed to be very outspoken. And I was much older than all the other assistants, like way, like, I don't know, five or seven years older than all the other assistants. Mm-hmm. And the business was really tough. And I wasn't given like a lot of exposure. And then my manager, who I love, left and brought in someone else. And he just wanted to tell me what to do, which fine, because he had a lot more experience than I did. But ultimately, it just was really tough. And the kind of head of my area went on vacation for like, I don't know, three or four weeks. I was kind of left alone. And I had all these friends that went had gone to Old Navy. And they're like, you should go to Old Navy. And so I went to the VP. And she's like, well, we're not going to promote you, but you can't leave. And I was like, well, if you're not going to promote me, then like, let me go. Like, if mm-hmm. you don't believe in me, like, you don't believe in what I'm doing. Like, let me go. She's like, well, we have to get, we're going to have to get, uh, we're going to have to get some like permission for you to bring. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I could just quit and go work for Old Navy. I mean, it is the same company. So I go, I interviewed Old Navy, had all these friends that had gone from Gap to Old Navy. And they're like, this is great. This is a great culture. You know, they really like value like your opinions. And anyway, I interviewed over there and I was like, it was a breath of fresh air. And I met so many amazing people. All my bosses were great. And I had the best, I would say those are the best couple of years of my, some of the best couple of years of my corporate life were at Old Navy. Um, Still in touch today, I still have very good friends from there. And I was there until the end of 09. And at that point, I had only experienced the gap and I wanted to kind of experience something else. And I knew a bunch of people that were, had gone to American Eagle from Gap and Old Navy. And I interviewed um, at American Eagle in Pittsburgh, and I took a job there. And what's funny was, was that at the gap, when I left, my boss finally came back from vacation. And he was like, you know, I didn't give you permission to interview Old Navy, and I could fire you right now. And I said, go ahead, like, I have another job. When I left Old Navy, when I left Old Navy, the president of Old Navy called me into his office and said, you can come back whenever you want. And I learned so much from the people there and it was such a good environment for me and I really loved it. And, um, and to this day, I still have a bunch of friends from there. So at Old Navy, you were saying it's some of the best years in your corporate life. What were some of those things that made it so great? And what were some of the biggest things that you learned? It sounds like you had better, you know, maybe management, <laughs> better bosses, which always makes a huge difference. Um, the people you work with have a really big influence on your experience at work. But um, what are maybe some of the key things that you learned that really helped you be kind of like a founder today? So when I learned how to manage a business um, and I had some really strong business people around me. So my direct boss when I went to Old Navy was extremely smart when it comes to managing a business. Um, and she now works for Walmart. She has like a big job at Walmart and she was an incredible boss for me and let me kind of be who I was, but then she kind of showed me like some different ways of looking at things. And basically she basically pushed me to learn the ways that she looked at things. Um, and I think that was extremely helpful because at the time I was like very much of a product focused person, but, and I have a financial background, but she really helped me kind of organize my thoughts and um, make kind of cogent arguments around why I should buy certain things over other things. And then she kind of let me who I was. And I think the best bosses that I've had have embraced my like energy and my like craziness and my ideas and still and motivated me um, by like encouraging those things, but also teaching me different ways of doing things. And I think she was really great at that. Um, is that kind of how you lead now at your own company? I try to, I, I, we, we actually didn't have, I I had one employee up until last year. Wow. Um, which is a challenge in its own right. Um, Yeah. yeah, doing everything yourself for a long time is exhausting. She was exhausted and I was exhausted. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. So you were at Old Navy and then you went to American Eagle. So how was your experience at American Eagle? It was the first year was tough. One, 
I moved to Pittsburgh and I didn't know anyone. And so it was very isolating for me. I made some friends, mostly people that worked for the company, but I was very lonely and it was hard. Why did you end up taking that job or leaving Old Navy? I just felt, well, it was a really, financially, it was a really good decision because it monetarily, like the compensation was very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really kind of admired what American Eagle had done and what they were doing. We were at Old Navy, we we're always looking at what American Eagle was doing. And I kind of wanted to learn like how they operated. And I learned so much there. I, I would say from a career point of view, it was the best career decision I could have made, but it was a, it was a very tough personal move. So when you first started out, you had wanted to start your own apparel brand, right? But then no. that the mentor um, of yours said, go work at The Gap, and you did. Were you thinking, even when you were applying for American Eagle or just another job, were you ever thinking like, am I ready now to start my company yet? Like, where were you on that um, thought process? Yeah, I, in fact, while I was at Old Navy, I, I, I a couple of times, like, would talk to colleagues about starting an apparel business. And I, with two of my friends there, I I talked to them about starting my own thing. And I just never like really had the courage to do it. Why do you think that? I was just always afraid of like leaving my job and not having any income. And I was scared. Yeah. It's, it's scary to take the leap. And I think a lot of people probably listening are in those exact same shoes right now. Well, they're working, you know, at a job, they have maybe a side hustle or a dream that they want to pursue. I mean, what would you say to them? Well, our tagline for the brand is start before you're ready. And (laughs) that's also my personal mantra, I would say, because if you wait for the perfect moment, it will not present itself. Mm Mm-hmm. I can tell you it's the single biggest accomplishment of my life starting four laps, but it's also definitely the hardest thing I've ever done by a long shot. And what were some of the the doubts or the fears that you had? Was it just like, oh, it would be really embarrassing if I fail? Or were you like, I can't afford to go bankrupt trying this out? Or, you know, what were some of those fears? Yeah, I think failure was the biggest thing that was holding me back. And 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 I think what you... I think you actually learn way more through failures than you do through successes. That is very true. Um, But it's very hard to leave a a cozy position where you feel like you're learning and on your way there anyways, to all of a sudden try to switch and start your own thing from scratch. It's very, very different. Um, So when you were at American Eagle, um, what happened from there? So the first year I was there was a little rough. Um, it was hard to kind of get used to the way they did things. And I kept wanting to do things the way I did them at the gap. And that's not the way they operated. Um, and I remember at one point I met, I ended up meeting with the head of HR and he said to me, he's like, look, you're, you're doing just fine. He's like, stay on the rails. He's like, you're on a train, stay on the rails. He's like, you don't need to go super fast. You don't want to go too slow. And you definitely don't want to go off the rails. (laughs) He's you like, to I go to work yourself up the ladder there, basically. Is that what he was advising you on? He was basically advising me to kind of relax a little bit and trust that I was hired for a reason and, and kind of, you know, focus on those things. And, I, you know, I had some like challenging managers and I had some challenging direct reports that made it really hard. And um, I had some cha- some business partners that weren't very good. And so, you know, I could have managed that a little bit better and gone to my, you know, my boss's boss and said, look, like I'm not being set up for success here with X, Y, and Z. I didn't really do that. And then after about a year, things just started to click. And we, when I got to the men's division, they only had one pant and they would sell that pant for six months. And then they would mark it down during the summer to sell shorts. And I just thought to myself, like, well, our customers buying jeans all year round, like, why can't he buy pants? Mm-hmm. Everyone was kind of a lot of people were like, kind of against it, or they just wanted to do like fashion pants. And I was like, No, we could have like, our customer wants to buy pants from us. Like they're buying so many of these pants. Mm-hmm. So then one of the things that I learned in American Eagle was testing, and they, they did an incredible job testing. And so we started to test some products and then we got a good response. And then I looked into sizing and like, we, we didn't offer a lot of sizes. So we added sizes and I ran a test for that and that went well. 
And lo and behold, like two years later, the business like tripled. You know, that felt really great to like grow a business. Also to kind of learn about, like really learn through the customer what they're looking for. While I was living in Pittsburgh, I had a lot of time on my hands and I was working out a lot. And I lived in this area of town called Shadyside. And in Shadyside, there was an outdoor kind of uh, like row of shops, like really beautiful street that had all these like cool stores on it, including some national and international brands. And I would go into this international brand every week and look to see what they were carrying. Um, And they made, you know, athletic apparel. And at the time, it was much more of a women's brand. And so I'd go into the store and I was constantly looking at what they're what they are offering. And, and I always felt like I was walking into a Victoria's Secret, even though they had a men's section, I felt like I, I felt like very emasculated. I just started to feel like there was a lack of good functional athletic apparel for men. I pitched the idea to American Eagle, I like wrote a strategy for athletic apparel, and I sent it to my boss. And my boss thought it was a good idea. And he sent it to his boss. And then they basically just decided that they didn't want to be in that business at the time, which I understand because they were selling a lot of denim and like denim was selling and they're probably like, why are we going to sell athletic apparel when we can sell denim? Yeah. It was at the time I was about to get promoted and I got promoted and I, they promoted me and I wanted to run a women's business. And I went into uh, running women's denim at American Eagle, which was an awesome experience. Cool. So, but what happened when you were like, how did you feel when they kind of shelved, I guess, your idea, you know, you kind of, I was a little little bummed out, but then, um, they were going to promote me anyway. And I, and I thought like, if I really wanted to run this new business for them, but like, if I wasn't going to run a new business for them, like at least I wanted to try a different business. So that's when I like moved to women's denim, but I kept thinking about this athletic apparel business. Okay. So how to go with the women's denim? It went great. It was, we like had some record years. Um, I learned about like women's fashion, how women shop, which is completely different than men. You know, in men's, you put something in the store in January, it's the same, it sells the same in June as in January. It's your best seller. But in women's, you put something in in January and then in February, you add something else and they like the February style better than the January style, and so on and so forth. Right. And at that time, it was all about like color and prints and all this novelty in denim. So we, in addition to all the blue jeans, we were doing like florals and bright colors and over dyes and all sorts of stuff. Awesome. What was um, one of the biggest challenges that you faced when you were running the women's denim brand? You know, I imagine you're kind of high up on the ladder at this point and um, you've worked really hard. Um, Was there any time where you like messed up um, or, you know, had to overcome a major challenge? Messed up, not so much. I think what I had to learn was how a female customer shopped. And I had to also rely on my team. Um, when it come when it came to like fit, because I wasn't wearing the jeans myself. So yeah. in some ways, like it was harder, but in some ways, it's easier because you don't personalize it. And you're forced to learn who the customer is. Mm-hmm. A lot of buyers, like will personalize things and the, you know, they put they think they're the customer when they may or may not be the customer. So right. I definitely wasn't the customer and I couldn't wear the jeans. And <laughs> so I had to really learn about like fit trends and a lot of stuff that like, you don't have to worry about so much on the men's side. Right. And so it looks like you end up going back to the gap after that. So can you talk about that switch? Yeah, sure. So I had been in American Eagle for four years. I loved the company. I was having a challenging time living in Pittsburgh. The gap was globalizing their operations and moving them to New York. There was a woman there who uh, I met with who I really, really liked. And she was going to be over the area that I was going to be in. And I spent a long time trying to like, you know, make the move. And I really wanted to live in New York. And so I left American Eagle and I went to back to work for the Gap. I assume with a whole different uh, management team than before. 
totally different management team than the first time that I was at Gap Brand. Mm -hmm. um, equally as challenging. For a couple months, I didn't have a boss, and then I had a boss, and then it just was a really, really hard year. Like the hardest year I've spent in my corporate life. Why was it so hard? I was being asked to do a lot of things that I wasn't good at and that I didn't have the skills to do and that weren't had nothing to do with what I was hired for. Hmm. So that was really hard. Like what? What were some of those things that you didn't really like doing or know how to do that you were asked to do? I mean, I was asked, I was put as the head of this committee to reduce the amount of samples that the company was using. Hmm. It, a lot of it had to do with like process, like creating processes. Mm -hmm. I came from a American Eagle where everything was about product customer. And right. this everything in this role was about process. Yeah. And I, I'm not good. That's not my forte. Yeah. And, and that's not what I was hired to do. Because ultimately, the person that hired me left three months later. <laughs> so, yeah. so, and then someone else came in. She did not like me at all. That's always fun. It was literally like walking straight, and I was told to go left, but I knew I should have gone right. And I go left, and then they told me I should have gone right. Hmm. Or I should have yeah. gone straight, or I should have gone backwards, or whatever it was. But it was literally like, Everything I was doing was bad. And then I just started to feel really bad about myself. I just, I kind of fell apart. Yeah. You were kind of uh, getting over it, it sounds like. So how did you go from, from, you know, what you thought would be an amazing opportunity in New York and realizing, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought. And I'm feel like I'm failing all over the place with this. Did that kind of help you think, well, if I'm going to fail here, I might as well fail at my own, my own thing. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, but it took me a while to get there. I ended up leaving before the end of the year under not very good circumstances. I mean, I didn't get fired, but it was, it was not a good situation. I went to Australia and New Zealand for like six weeks. For vacation, just to get out? I needed to like get, first of all, it was a really cold winter in New York. It was, it had been snowing. It was, it was just awful. And um, I just wanted to like get rid of all bad energy. And so I yeah. went to Australia, New Zealand, and I had an amazing trip. I came back in the country um, and it was warm. I couldn't help but think about starting this athletic apparel business. And I yeah. started talking to someone about doing it. And then I was, then I interviewed for a job and I got at the job. And one of my close friends was like, look, go ahead and take this job. You'll never start the company. He's like, you're, you can, this company cannot be your side hustle. It's just not going to happen. So make a choice. Right. And that's when, started, that's when I decided to start the company. All right. So your friend kind of pushed you into it. I guess he, did. he pushed he, you he over did the edge. Me. He did push me over the edge. <laughs> awesome. So what were kind of the first things you started to do to, to launch your company? And how did you kind of work through the initial fear that you had? before? Because I'm sure those kind of thoughts kept creeping up on you, you know, throughout the, the very beginning phases. I think when you come out of a really tough situation, then it kind of puts things in perspective. And I think what I thought was, what's the worst thing that can happen to me is that I have to find another job. Right. And I'm employable. So like, okay, why not try this thing that I've been talking about for years and years and years? And why not try it? And because I had worked at American Eagle, I had made a really nice salary. I saved a bunch of money, so I felt financially secure. I just started kind of, um, I started trying to figure things out. And originally, I was working with someone. And that very became very quickly apparent that it wasn't going to work out, the two of us working together. So I kind of went off on my own, and I just started trying to figure out, like, what did I want the line to look like? And I needed to find a branding agency to help me figure out, um, build like a logo and a look and feel. And I worked with these, this really great branding agency. And then I, I, I hired a designer to help me with the project and she was really great. And then I had to figure out how to get it made. Right. And that's when I started to have some major problems. <laughs> that's always the fun part about apparel. Manufacturing. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 
a lot of fun. So I had some mentors and one of my mentors suggested that I reach out to this woman that he had worked with at a former company that she was an expert in sourcing. So I reached out to her and I had a couple meetings and I had a bad feeling about her and I, I couldn't find anyone else to help me. She was super pushy and something about her was very off. Mm. And I called her references, which of course they said good things about her. Right. And I couldn't find anyone else. So I, I, I call her up and I asked for another meeting with her. And she said, if you want to have another meeting with me, I'm going to charge you because you've already met with me twice. <laughs> and at that point I should have said, okay, got to find someone else. But I met with her and I signed the contract and I moved forward. Yeah. No, like, let's just get this done. I need I to, wanted, I want to, I just, time. You got to get this yeah. thing moving. So we start working together and things aren't going very smoothly. Things are taking longer and she wants to charge me more money. Mm. And, and I, and I don't know any better. So I think, okay, like, you know, and she was blaming my people. Well, the, this doesn't look good. And these tech packs aren't right and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is weird. Cause all the people I'm working with on my own have all worked at the gap and they know what they're doing. Right. These people know what they're doing. Mm. You know, I give her the costing targets and then we start to get samples in and the samples are really weird. And like the trims, like the draw cords and the like liner, the liner on my running short, we had to cut out of the short to fit it because it was a woven liner. Well, all running shorts have a knit liner that's very stretchy. Well, this was a woven liner that was like a shower curtain. That literally, the, the fit model couldn't get into. And then the draw cords were made out of cotton. And I thought that was weird. And my tech designer pulled me aside and she's like, you know, I don't think this factory that we're working with has done athletic apparel before. Oh, wow. So then I asked her, have they done athletic apparel? Oh, yes, yes. They, they're experts in athletic apparel. Oh, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> so the next day I'm like, you know what? I call her up. I was like, have you been to this factory? No. Oh boy. And I was like, is it normal for you to put your clients? And she was charging a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Is it normal for you to put your clients in a in a factory that has not made athletic apparel before? That you don't know what you're talking about, and um, you 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 really think you're going to get like a factory that makes you know major athletic apparel brands to make your product? You're wrong. Okay, fine. Maybe I am wrong, but I need to find out for myself. Right. So I'm like, I'm going to China and I'm going to meet with this factory. The one that you were working with through her, just to double check and see it for yourself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. She calls me back the next day. I want to come with you too. And you know, you need to send me a business class ticket. And I was like, I'm not paying for you to go to a factory that you put me in that you've never been to. Right. That's not my job. <laughs> you should have done this a while ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's your job. Yeah. That's your job. Yeah. So I go over there and I basically there was somebody that was actually helping me on the other end who ended up helping me make the line who really saved me. But we go over there and it is a disaster. And we go to this factory. And the first thing you look at in a factory is what they have made. And I go into the sample room and there's not a single piece of athletic apparel and they are running pajamas. They're running pajamas at this factory. And I just freaked out. Right. You're like, where's this men's athletic wear, you know? Yeah, where's the expertise? Yeah. And like, this is my life. And I put all of my energy into this for the last year. Yeah, in your savings. <laughs> and my savings and, and you know, my dad funded the company and like, I was just mortified. So I came back and I confronted her and I fired her. I went off on my own with this other woman from Hong Kong who got me into a really great factory and we made the product and I lost a year of time and a ton of money. And I was depressed for months because I, I, I didn't want to start over, but I, I literally had all the, all the supplies, everything were sitting in this factory being ready to be made. And I literally just had to walk away from the whole thing. 
Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't think about that part of it. Um, you know, you hear these stories of uh, founders starting brands and you don't even realize that they probably spent an entire year that just went nowhere, <laughs> just yeah. focused on product, working with the wrong manufacturers, the wrong people early on learning wasting money here or there just because of the mistakes that happened so early on in the process of starting a anything. Lot of experience and connections and I still made the mistakes. So mm -hmm. yeah. So what did you do to test the market to prove the concept for your company? Or were you just kind of like, I'm gonna make this happen because I believe that this is what the customer wants. Yeah. I just basically I had a gut instinct around what I wanted it to be. I worked with the designer on the concept. I, we created the product and we launched the brand. And I just, I believe that, you know, we, we could do it. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, why do you think the world needs another athletic apparel brand? I mean, there's these big, huge companies selling athletic apparel and you think you're going to, you think someone's going to buy your stuff. Right. Like you're crazy. What's your answer to that? I was like, I just, I just, in my heart, I just knew that it was the right thing. And I just knew that like what was out there was lackluster and was overseamed and over logoed and neon and made from nasty materials. And, um, and, and I, I saw that people were going to start dressing differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When did you realize things were working? Like, you know, was there ever, I think that some founders, maybe you had this, maybe you didn't kind of say, okay, once I hit this metric, then I feel like we've done something right. And we should continue versus if we don't hit this in the next year, I just can't keep on plowing through on this. If it's just not going to work, you know, what was that kind of metric or threshold? There were a couple of things that happened. First of all, within the first six months, I got put into GQ into a full page that said like four laps is our new favorite brand. Nice. And then I was like, okay, the editors from this very well-respected men's fashion publication have like validated my brand. Right. And did uh, you, how did that happen? Was that because you were working with a PR person or was this just organic? I, was working, I had a very good publicist. I still have the same publicist. She's fantastic. So my publicist was great and the product we were doing was different. And all the editors were saying, we love what you're doing. It's different from everything else out there. Like keep doing what you're doing. Nice. So that was validating. You're like, okay. Validating. And then, and that actually resulted, that piece of press resulted in a bunch of sales. And then we kind of ran out of inventory. Nice. That's always a good problem to have. It's still it's a, problem, a great though. problem to have, except for when the supplier that you made stuff with, that did a good job, doesn't want to work with you anymore because you're too small. Oh, no. And you're just starting out. You're, yeah. you're trying to ramp up. Yeah. So we had to go out and find someone else. Yep. And that also proved to be equally as challenging. Right. In a different way. The business was still struggling, honestly. It was still struggling. I mean, I did not pay myself a salary until uh, last year, the middle of last year like four years later. Right. Four years later. So four years, you didn't have a salary. Correct. Yeah. I don't know if most people can live like that, to be honest. I mean, I was, I was like, at the end, I was like, I'd gone through all my savings. My dad funded the company. He was like helping me out. Mm -hmm. That was, that was really, I'm really grateful that he funded the company, but I didn't feel good about taking a bunch of money from him. Yeah. So it was, it was tough. And I also was like, had a lot of issues with anxiety and depression and that kind of made things worse. Right. That doesn't help when you're already getting that with, you know, like it's already tough enough yeah. to start a company and then to also have kind of that amplified. How did you work through that? Well, you know, I went to therapy for a while that worked for a while. And then I stopped going to therapy. And then I, I sort of just thought, well, this anxiety and depression, and this is just a result of being an entrepreneur. Hmm. And finally, it got to the place where it was just intolerable, like waking up at four in the morning with just debilitating anxiety. And a close, I call, I messaged a close friend of mine, who's also an entrepreneur, and I told him what was going on. He's like, you need to talk to someone. Yeah, like really good. 
And he put me in touch with a therapist. And, you know, we started talking and she said, look, she was like, I, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs. She's like, and we can, I can help you. She's like, but your anxiety is at like a nine or a 10. Wow. And she's like, you're going to, this is not going to end well, unless you get some medical help. Mm. And I had been on medication before and it didn't really work. And I didn't think it was going to work. But I, I thought at this point, well, I've got to try it. So I ended up going to see a psychiatrist and it took like six to 12 months, but like, I, I feel like a complete different human being. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a long, tough journey, but it sounds like you were able to kind of get it, you know, manage it and been able to kind of pull yourself up. And so how are things going now? I mean, I saw that you guys have, you've been in a lot of your brand has been in women's or daily Forbes, GQ Esquire. I mean, you've gotten so much press. There was also a partnership with Peloton. I'd love to hear about, you know, now that you've kind of rose from the ashes of anxiety (laughs) in a way, um, you know, things things are great. Uh, So you ask about turning points. So one of the turning points was the pandemic. Our business in March and April of last year just started to go crazy. Um, Prior to that, we had done a collaboration with Peloton uh, two years ago, a very small collaboration, but it was the biggest order I'd ever, we had ever seen. We did stuff for them. And then the next season they came back and they ordered some more and then they ordered some more and they ordered some more. And then every season they've been ordering product from us. And then the wow. pandemic hit and people started working out mostly from home. So their business has obviously been quite good. Mm-hmm. And they've been really good partners with us. And they're incredibly wonderful to work with. So the combination of the pandemic plus Peloton, I think kind of catapulted us. So what? how do you, you know, just kind of create a partnership with Peloton. I feel like that's such a massive brand. That's such a huge partnership to, to work on and to have, um, especially as a new brand, you know, what advice would you have for other entrepreneurs that are building a brand that want to do awesome partnerships like that? Yeah. So my publicist put me in touch with them. So in addition to being a great publicist, she's all, I can email her and if she can help out, she does. Well, and she put me in touch. She put me in touch with them. And, you know, at the time, this was two years ago. So it was a little bit different for them too. They were still, you know, they were still a startup. And, you know, several people from Peloton came to our offices and I showed them the line. And a couple of days later, they came back with an order. Nice. And like I said, it was the biggest order we'd ever gotten. Right. I was crazy. I was just like super happy. (laughs) That's so cool. Um, but I mean, I'm always someone who likes to network and like I'm constantly networking and reaching out to people and like I'll contact, you know, founders of companies. We're looking, to, I, I really want to do a fashion collaboration this year. So we're trying to figure out who, like who we want to work with. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to end up reaching out to the CEO of whatever company it is that we want to work with and, and asking them if they want to work with us. Right. Yeah, why not? You got to go for it. Nothing I mean, to lose. The worst thing they can say is no. <laughs> exactly. I know. So four laps, I was reading stands for kind of the four laps that equal a mile when you run around the track, which is kind of a cool athletic kind of branding, you know, way to name a company. Um, and talk to us about like the sustainability and functionality of your apparel. What, what makes it different than other brands? Yeah. So um, a couple of years ago, uh, I met with some, an industry leader who basically said, look, you, you, you're making athletic apparel and it's mostly made out of polyester and you really start thinking about the environment. And at the time I was like, we have so many problems. I have to think about the environment too. <laughs> <laughs> what about us? <laughs> yeah, what about me? I'm not even making a salary. I got to think about the environment. Um, well, I started to do some research and it just, I mean, apparel is horrible for the environment, not just athletic apparel. Right. When we went to work with a new supplier that we're currently working with, that is phenomenal. Um, I I basically said to them, I want to I want us to become as like 100% sustainable materials in the next four years. And how can we get there? Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, I know we can do X, Y, and Z, but you probably know about a bunch of other stuff that I don't even know about. So we started talking. We started converting our fabrics to recycled materials. In our men's line, like every product, with the exception of some T-shirts we're making domestically, are between 20 and 90% recycled materials. And actually, we made a jacket last year that was made out of uh, the the shell was made out of a biodegradable material. Cool. Um, and then we use a lot of functional materials as well. So like we use a technology called 37.5 that helps uh, regulate your body temperature. That's helpful when you're working out. Definitely. You don't overheat. You don't overheat. And, um, and when you're cold, it keeps you, it keeps you at a nice, even temperature. Nice. Yeah. So what's something you wish you would have known before you started your business? First of all, I wish I would have trusted my instincts on that first time when I had a bad feeling about that supplier. That woman. That woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. Because in, I tell people this, because other entrepreneurs like reach out to me, people I know. In the beginning, your gut is all you have. Yeah. You don't have data. Right. You don't have data. You don't have, you don't, you don't have science. You, you just have your gut. And if you have a bad feeling about something, you, you need to listen to that feeling. And I should have listened to it. Yeah. It could have saved a little bit of heartache and, and money and a few other things in time. Yes. A year of time. Send That's me back a while. A <laughs> yeah. A year is a long time. Yep. So what's the biggest thing that you've learned about becoming a leader? I, I think one of the things that I learned now that I have a team is that you really need to focus on the things that you're good at and you need to hire people to do the things that you're not good at. Mm -hmm. That's a major thing. And the other thing is you have to be surrounded by people that you love, that are positive, um, that are going to like encourage you and, um, and, and want to be on this journey with you because the journey is not a corporate journey. It's ups and downs. It's figuring stuff out that you have no idea what you're doing. One of my friends who's an entrepreneur, I think put it really well. And she put it in a very positive way. She said, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to love the everyday challenge. And what that means is you have to get up every day and you have to want to solve problems and you have to not see them as problems. You have to see them as like, some kind of challenge that you can fix, like a right. fun thing. Because for a long time, every challenge I looked at was like, oh, this is miserable. Mm. But now I'm like, okay, I've been through all that. And I can pretty much, most things can be solved. Right. I mean, they might cost money, they might cost time, but you can solve most problems. Yeah. So it's just I another day in the life. Another day in the life. <laughs> of being a founder. Of being just a founder. Challenge. Yeah. Which everyone thinks is so glamorous. Because when on the outside, all people see is the press, mm -hmm. the partnerships, the whatever. But they don't see like they don't see those moments where you're like almost in tears, or your employees in tears, or you're super frustrated, you can't sleep. They don't see any of that. Right. <laughs> they just they just see the rosy press releases and the Peloton partnerships, which by the way, are incredible. Yeah. But like for all of those things, I mean, there's tons of other challenges that you face. Right. And you don't, you don't get to pick the good and the bad. You, you, you get it all. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if, you know, Bumble just IPO'd and, yeah, um, I was just thinking about that so much the other day because, you know, from the outside, someone who maybe doesn't know her story very well, she, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, youngest female to IPO, that must be so great. But if you really like look back to her, like beginning from Tinder and the sexual harassment and yeah. the lawsuits that she had yeah. to go through, I mean, that woman has been through it. Yeah. I mean, on a whole tenacious. nother level. And it takes, it takes tenacity it mm -hmm. takes positive energy it takes it takes a really strong spirit to do this 
So what are some things that you do to try to build resiliency and stay strong? Um, I try and work out five to seven days a week. Um, I can tell you that my Peloton bike became my friend during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. As did as did an outdoor training class in Chelsea, which uh, was taught by this instructor who was fantastic. And we had socially distanced workouts. And I can tell you that like, you know, I was crying because I was alone and going to these classes in the morning, eight feet apart, but doing it together really, really did help. You know, you mentioned having kind of mentors or other founders to talk to, or just kind of getting out of our heads, you know, as an entrepreneur, I mean, with COVID and many people out there listening, probably feeling like they're still stuck in their own little bubble at home, um, very isolated, you know, where you're stuck with your thoughts, but you really need that community to get to the next level. What are some things or advice that you have for, you know, getting out of the rut? One, I, I try and like, I'm someone that needs to change and I need, I, I don't, routines actually are not good for me. So you know, I recommend like going for a walk, um, trying new food. Like I do one of those food subscription services where the food gets delivered to me and I have to cook something different. And by the way, I love doing things at the end of the day, after making so many decisions, I like to like read a recipe and follow it and just make it. Yeah. <laughs> Being told what to do. Sometimes I like to be told what to do. <laughs> you know, I've tried that actually. And I hate it because I always mess it up somehow. Like it's so, it's supposed to be easy, you know, make bread. You just like follow the directions, but somehow yeah. I always mess it up. And then the result is horrible. And I get even more mad. You oh, know? No. <laughs> yeah, I get so pissed that the stupid bread came out the wrong way. And I'm like, what did I do? Maybe I swapped an ingredient. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> well, I don't Baking is a whole other thing, but cooking I like doing. So I like to I like to do that. And then, you know, I I I actually think it's really important to connect with your friends and FaceTime with people because mm -hmm. it's nice to talk on the phone, but it's actually it's a whole other thing when you can see your friends and your family. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. That connection is really important. And that community that you were saying of like mentors and friends, I think it's hard for people to connect. Um, with others. And it's because um, it's so much easier to just not, you know, it's like sit at home, stuck at home anyways. Why reach out? You know, you kind of start spiraling down. But it's good to maybe use LinkedIn, Clubhouse. There's so many different types of um, communities now where I think new relationships can be built. Yeah. And I think, I think when one of the things that like I noticed about just Peloton when I was doing it um, during the pandemic is that even though like the class wasn't being taught directly to me, I felt like I was there mm -hmm. and there, and I saw other people doing the class and that just knowing that you're doing it with other people makes you feel better. I mean, we're like, we're all social creatures. Like we're not meant to be by ourselves. And this pandemic has, I mean, if you're an extrovert, like it's really, really rough. Right. Um, and so I, I, I think you, you have to do things where you, anything you can do to kind of feel connected, I think is really important. What's, and last question before we wrap up here, or maybe two questions. Yeah. Um, what's something you think most people don't know about building a business? I think it goes back to most people when they, when they see a business, they just see the successes. Mm -hmm. They just see, they just think that you went from zero to 100 and it was smooth sailing along the way. Right. And there's so many of these stories of like these, of these, you know, brands, not so much apparel brands, because it, it doesn't really happen so much with apparel brands. But, you know, there's these tech startups that like go from zero to a billion in like a few years. And I think we become jaded thinking that like, this is how most businesses are. But most right. businesses do not operate that way. Yeah, yeah. most businesses, I'd say, might be struggling, actually. <laughs> most businesses are struggling. Yeah. And, and, and for every one success, there's a thousand failures and or more. And I mean, I, when I hear other stories of people 
that start companies, even if they fail, I have so much respect for them because it takes such courage to start a business. Mm-hmm. And even to put yourself out there and to put yourself in a position where you may fail. And when you fail, it's like a big failure. Yeah. And if, you can, if you're able to do that, I don't care if you failed. I, I will respect you wholeheartedly for, for trying it because it is just, it's just hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. I think there's a lot of luck involved too, for the ones that are successful that I think is overseen quite a bit. I think, I don't, I don't think it's so much luck actually. You don't think what percent by using 0% luck or you're just saying lower percentage. I think that, I think people kind of make their own luck. So I think, okay, let's just put it in terms of four laps. Like I could not have predicted a pandemic. Right. And then all of a sudden people were going to be really wanting to wear like sweatpants. Right. Could not, could not have forecasted that. But I, I did see that like uh, people were starting to dress differently and more people were working out and guys actually started to care about what they looked at at the gym. So would the success have come maybe as quickly with the pandemic? Probably not. But I was, yes, I was in the right place at the right time, but there was a lot of thought behind that. Mm-hmm. So I, okay, yes, there are some things, there are some paradigm shifts that happen that are just definitely things you can't control, like pandemics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I'm thinking of all the restaurants right now, you know, that yeah. are not lucky at all. <laughs> no. I mean, and in fact, during, during, during when the pandemic hit, I was literally, I was trying to go to the local restaurants as much as possible to get food because yeah, I just felt so badly about that. Right. I want to support them. Um, so what's uh, some final advice you have for, you know, founders out there thinking about starting their next thing or even just entrepreneurs that um, are already in the trenches? I think, um, being focused is really important. And one of the things that I've like learned to do is that when I like, before I start my day, I often write down like three goals that I have over the course of the day, because you can literally go into like a rabbit hole, of like looking at emails and getting super distracted. So I think being focused is really important. Um, And I think that if I, I encourage people that if they have the capital or they have the energy to and they've been working in corporate jobs, and they want to try something that they should try it. And maybe they don't want to quit their jobs to start a company. But Mm -hmm. try something small on the side. And, and I don't know, I don't know so much believe in a side hustle, because I couldn't have done this if I was doing something else full time. Mm -hmm. But I think it I think you know, you can be an entrepreneur in a small way, like you don't have to like just start a company like you could. If you have an idea, you could just explore that idea. Right. So I, I, I encourage people to at least explore their entrepreneurial side, because I think if you can make it work, it is so rewarding. Right. In so many ways. In so many ways. And hopefully if it doesn't work, then you can at least say I had a great experience and I learned a lot. You're going to, like I said before, I definitely learned more from my bad experiences than the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for, um, you know, sharing all of your insights and advice and everything. Thank you. I had a really great time today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.